In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Brothers and sisters, uh, in the liturgical calendar, we just celebrated on Thursday was the Feast of the Ascension of Christ. Today is the Sunday after the Ascension of Jesus. Uh, the Ascension happens in history 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead. So Jesus walked the earth uh, after he rose from the dead for 40 days, appeared a few times to his disciples, and then in front of them, and in front of hundreds of them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. The Ascension is something that we neglect, I'm going to be honest, as Catholics. We neglect, we neglect it a lot. Even on the feast day, Thursday, you know, not too many people show up to Mass. It's not something that's made a big deal out of, but really, even theologians don't make all that big of a deal out of it. But it's huge. And I would really disagree with the uh, little attention that it gets. I think it's very, very undervalued. In some ways, because it can be seen as among the most important of the events. In the Paschal Mystery, the Paschal Mystery is a reference to Jesus' suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. And all these things come together. You don't know one. You don't really understand one without the other. You don't really understand the crucifixion of Jesus until you understand it in light of his resurrection and his ascension. You don't understand why Jesus suffers and what the meaning of Jesus' suffering is without understanding also, without looking at it in the context of him risen from the dead and ascending into heaven and sitting down at the right hand of God. Because the ascension is seen as kind of the end of all things. And this is why it can be seen as maybe the most important thing. It's the end of everything. And the end of everything, the goal of something, really determines what comes before it. Everything that leads up to the goal is informed by the goal. Everything that we do leading up to something that we have in mind is for the sake of that thing that we have in mind. So for example, if you are going on a road trip to San Francisco, if you're going on a road trip to San Francisco, you're going to make sure that you have gas, that you're going to make sure that you have money to fill up again because it's so far. You're going to make sure that you have some snacks with you. You're going to make sure that you know that you have a GPS system on so that you know what freeways to take and so on and so forth. Probably you'll have some stuff to listen to in the car, whatever you're going to do. You're going to have a lot of things lined up in preparation for your road trip to San Francisco. The end goal is San Francisco and everything that you're doing leading up to it is because you're going to San Francisco. But San Fran the, the, the destination is kind of the most important thing here. It's what, um, it's what you have in mind the whole time. The ascension is like that. Everything is leading up to the ascension of Christ. Jesus being taken up and sitting down at the right hand of God the Father, this is the goal of all things. Not just for him, but especially for the whole human race, for the church and all of human beings. And Jesus goes as a forerunner, as a pioneer. He's the first to do it. He's the new head of the human race, and he leads the charge over to the right hand of God the Father, where all of us are to follow him. To. But again, if we are to follow Jesus to the ascension, we have to follow him to the resurrection, which means we have to follow him to the cross, which means we have to follow him through the passion. But again, looking at one without the other, we're going to be confused. 
looking at the crucifixion without looking at the resurrection and the ascension, and it's just another instance of humanity killing off an innocent person without meaning and without purpose. But in light of the resurrection, in light of the ascension, all of it makes sense. How do we understand the meaning of Jesus' ascension and resurrection in our own lives today? It's something definitely to look forward to, and certainly uh, we can say that there's a future meaning there, of course. You know, many Christians unfortunately have the idea that, oh, in this life we're going to be miserable, and then in the next life we're going to be happy. That's not really the Catholic worldview. There's meaning. There's something that, that applies to us today about the resurrection, even if it's something that's going to happen later. So on the one hand, yes, of course, from the resurrection, the, the ascension, we understand God loves the body. God, under, God values the human body, and he wants to raise it up to eternal life. He wants to take it up with him and sit it down at, the right hand, at his right hand. That there's meaning to our suffering, that's something that we can understand. But I want to focus on one specific thing. The resurrection and the ascension of Christ, specifically the ascension, makes us free, even now. It gives us true freedom even now, if we allow it to. Why is that? Because we have a destination. We have a goal in mind, and that goal is going to inform everything that we're doing leading up to it. We have a destination. It's not San Francisco. It's the right hand of God. And just like if we're doing a road trip to San Francisco, we're going to have snacks, and we're going to have podcasts, and we're going to have gas, and we're going to have a GPS, and we're going to have all these things, so in this life, we have a goal in mind that should inform everything that we do in this life, leading up to the destination and the goal. And if we do, then we will be free. Because freedom means to live like a human being as God created, created us to be. Freedom means to be detached from this world. Freedom means to be not constrained by the things of this world or people in this world or anything about this world. Not to be constrained by it and weighed down by it, but to be light enough so that God will take us up to himself. But of course, the ascension cannot be seen apart from the passion and our own destiny into the resurrection and the ascension of Christ with him cannot be seen apart from our own suffering with him, cannot be seen apart from us being crucified with him. One cannot go without the other. So I get, uh, I've been criticized, and I'm proud of it, I've been criticized for speaking too much about suffering. And I'll continue to do that because it's uh, absolutely essential to not just the human condition, the human condition is marked by pain and suffering because it's a fallen world and we are fallen people. But it's also the Christian virtue to be able to suffer well, to be able to suffer for the love of God, to be able to suffer for the love of our neighbor. This is the Christian virtue in union with the suffering love, the wounded love that Christ shows us on the cross. And if we don't really master that, we have not mastered what it means to be a Catholic, to be a follower of Christ. And if we haven't mastered it, then we haven't found freedom either. We haven't found the freedom that comes with the resurrection and the ascension. Freedom comes when we are no longer constrained by the constraints of this world. 
But in order to be free from it, we must suffer freely. And so I'll give you a kind of personal example of this. I, like you, spend most of my time and make most of my decisions to avoid suffering. That's what all of us do. We do make decisions, we say things, we do things so that we can avoid some fear, so that we can avoid some discomfort, so that we can do something to get our way, so that we can find ourselves secure enough so that we don't suffer some pain, some foreseeable pain. And instead, we search for some pleasure that would replace the foreseeable pain. So we run away from suffering and we run towards pleasure. And that is most often the reason why we commit sins, whether it's against ourselves or against another or uh, something being offensive to God or whatever it is. It's because we're running away from suffering and we're running towards pleasure. But this does not please God. And it doesn't please God because it's bad for us. And so God will always give us more opportunities to suffer and to accept it so that he can transform our hearts. He can make us what he wants to make us and he can make us free. And God will always give us those opportunities. And if we're rejecting it, he'll give us more. And I have found, just so that you know, in my ministry with, uh, in counseling people, I have found that those that are constantly rejecting suffering in their, life, in their lives are just given more and more suffering. And I think oftentimes God does this on purpose because he's trying to get them to be what he wants them to be. He's trying to get them to the cross and to accept the cross so that he can give them the greater gift of freedom. And in my own personal life, I'll tell you of one instance where for a long time I was really running away from some form of suffering, some foreseeable thing. And I was fighting it tooth and nail. And what it was, was a foreseeable uh, pain that uh, uh, basically everything that I've worked for, everything that I cared about, everything I've invested myself in, whatever it is, uh, would just kind of go collapsing all around me. And it gave me a lot of anxiety, and it gave me a lot of heartache, and it gave me a lot of headache, and it gave me a lot of uh, pain and suffering and whatever you, whatever you think. But the more I fought it, the worse it was. So one day, struggling through it in prayer, I just told God, fine, whatever you want. If this is what you want, let it be according to your will. I'll accept it and I'll, I'll carry it. Only give me the strength to do it. Now, of course, this, was, this is learned. We learned this from Jesus, who at the Garden of Gethsemane, was facing all of his, uh, facing in the front of the eye of his mind, all of the things that would cause him the greatest anguish of human history. He was facing all of human sin and that he was going to carry himself and carry the consequence for himself. And the pain and torture that he was about to endure was right in front of him at the Garden of Gethsemane to the point where he asked God the Father, take this cup from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. If you want me to go through this, I will go through it, even if I don't want to. But he accepted it. This is learned from him. And it's also learned from the Virgin Mary. When the angel Gabriel goes to her and he says, you will bear a son and he will be the son of David. He will, uh, 
he will inherit the throne of his father David, etc., etc. Essentially, he's going to be the Messiah. She knew what the Messiah was. The Messiah was prophesied about for centuries before her. She knew that the Messiah was to be the man of sorrows, the saddest man that ever existed. She knew that the Messiah was going to be the suffering servant, that he would suffer, that he would experience the pain and the, and the uh, punishment for all of the sins of Israel. She knew that her son would have to go through these things and that she would have to endure them with him. And Gabriel told her this, what's your answer? And she said, I am the handmaid of the Lord. I am God's servant. Let it be to me according to your will. That's the Christian virtue. It's not virtuous to run away from pain. It's not virtuous, it's not pretty, it's not fitting for a Christian who wears a cross, who carries a cross on his shoulders, who makes the sign of the cross over his person, to just constantly run away from pain and, and just give in to fears and just be very cowardice about the reality of this world, creating our own reality in its place so that it can be more comfortable, a safer space for us to live in. This is not uh, Christian virtue in any sense of the term. It is for us, brothers and sisters, to meet suffering in its face and it, for the love of God and for the love of those that God has given us, to experience it, to accept it and experience it, and to do so even cheerfully if we can get around to it. That way, we are free. Once we do it, we are free. And again, from my experience, I did it once, and I'm not saying that I do it all the time, I don't even get close to that, I'm not a virtuous man by any stretch of the imagination. But, once you do it once, it gets easier to do it again, and it gets easier and easier as you go. Once you don't give in to your fears, once, you gain a little more courage for the next time. That is the freedom that God wants of us, and that is the freedom that is, uh, that is the only way that we can achieve true joy in this life such that we already experience the joy and the freedom that we will have when we sit at God's right hand. Brothers and sisters, I highly encourage you then to free yourself from the constraints of this world, to free yourself from fear, to free yourself from uh, the desire to run away from uncomfortable situations because they're difficult to deal with. No, meet them head on. And if you do, do it for the love of God, do it for the love of your neighbor, and do it for the love of yourself, and experience it, and let God be the doctor of your soul who will comfort and console you, and who will get you through it, and who will take you to himself in this life and for all of eternity with him in the ascension. Amen. Amen.